0: This is the Training Talks podcast with your host Richard Kelly of RK Fitness and Lawrence Davis of LXD Fitness. So while I was waiting for you to turn up, I was
1: doing some vitamin D loading. You just reminded me I need to do the vitamin C mega dosing or figure out exactly what it needs to be. So how is your vitamin D loading? It's good. You see, non-athletes sunbathe, athletes (laughs) vitamin D load. So what you're saying is you're at the higher level of sun saturation through your skin yeah that's what i've got to do I, I make it seem more complex than it is but it,
0: it was a 30 minute session <laughs> 30 minutes vitamin d loading oh that's hilarious yeah it was good it was good so i'm thinking about doing a powerlifting competition now before you jump in and go that's a terrible idea okay i'm not doing this to win it okay just doing this to try it out See how these kind of things go More of an experience thing Because when I looked at the numbers I'm not that far away
1: You kind of reassided me with that conversation I did not expect you to say that at all I, the, Yeah, I did not expect that
0: Well, let me, let me give you what are some What the
1: numbers? Let me give you some numbers But the thing is, with powerlifting Just to refresh your mind and the listeners You know, knowledge on it
0: Are there still weight classes? There are still weight classes. All right. So, to give you an idea, right, if we're looking at... See, the class I'd be trying to enter in is, is 93 kilos, right? Okay. So, this is the East Midlands from 2020, yep. okay? So, this is the open end, so not, not the Masters. I think I'd be actually in Masters, but let's we're, we're looking at open-ended. Okay, so bear that in mind. So, for the squat, the 93 class group, the, the bottom person did three squats, 150, 160, 165. So his squat number is 165. For bench press, the bottom person did 100, 105, 110. And then for deadlift, 170, 182.5, half. So his total was 462.5. That's the last person in 93. Now I'm looking at those numbers and I'm going, I kind of think I can get close to that. I know that's last. But I can kind of do that already. Do you see what I mean? You're starting to think now these numbers look chainable and that's 83. When I go down below that, in, in the lower lower weight numbers, it, obviously some of those start dropping the in. Your lower weight numbers. As in the weighing numbers. Oh, weighing. So for someone like you, you'd probably be going into, the, say, the 83 class, which oh. is the next drop down. What's below that? 74. Mm. Do you want to know the 74 number? Let's go to 74. Okay, so there's only three competitors in 74.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What was the top competitor? Top competitor, let me have a look here. So, here we go. Okay, top competitor, 74 class. Did 155 kilo squat. Bench, 100. Deadlift, 180.
1: That's seventy four. That's seventy four. What's the next one? Okay, let's go. I just wait. I want the squat and the deadlift. For is the the eighty three?
0: Eighty three. Now someone in eighty three did six ten, total. Oh. So to to give you an idea, that's more than the next class up, right? So this guy is obviously the 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 elite level guy, right? Because he he placed first.
1: So he what he probably done was he's from the class above and he probably dropped his weight enough to get into the lower class. I can tell you because he's got his weight number. So, because you can't, if if his totals are better than the weight above above him, then you know he probably just dropped down in weight. Because that's absurd.
0: No, he's only just above. He's at seventy seven in the eighty three class. There's a guy who came second to him who's eighty two point five, so he's just under eight. He's just inside eighty three. Who came second? But this guy who did six ten did. yeah, the guy who came second did 500, so he's way clear. So the guy who did 610 pulled 250 on deadlift, 225... No. Yeah, 250 on deadlift, 140 squat, and bench was 125.
1: That's so messed up. His legs are that weak in terms of a squat, 140 for the squat.
0: Well, his, the thing is, his deadlift is outstandingly high in comparison. I mean, his bench is high, but...
1: His, his deadlift is insane, but, but he this, needed a deadlift that strong if his if his squat is that weak.
0: Yeah, but this is it. So this is um so they've got the top end open end number is one hundred and twenty kilos plus. And this is a different section. Uh who's the top competitor? There are people who pulled six six three total. This is the total highest number, and that's first overall that guy is uh three hundred on deadlift. Um, 190 squat and 170 bench. So,
1: the first question I ask, after all the conversations we've had the last couple of months, I wonder what level of testosterone these guys are on. Because if you're saying that an athlete can have, what is it, three times the normal amount?
0: So, legally... Yeah, three three times the upper upper normal, which is a thousand. Yeah, so three thousand. So it's it's insanely high, right? But this is a this is the East Midlands classic, right? Which is weirdly, um, I don't, so I don't know whether they drug test. Right, because I don't know anything about it. I just randomly found one I could find data on to get a sample of. I don't know if this is a good one. I don't know if this is typical. What I can tell you is there's only about 25 competitors. So it it looks to me like that field looks fairly open. Also, because it's from 2020, it's from the start of 2020, like uh, January, there was a lot of COVID fear at that point. So maybe some people didn't enter or held off. Maybe it's an anomaly year. But to me... Like, I'm looking at the numbers going, I'm not that far off some of these numbers. In fact, I know quite a few people who aren't far off, and I haven't even, like, a 100 kilo bench, for example, right? You don't even need to do all the... no ...back arching stuff to do that.
1: No, you don't.
0: Right? If you're you're allowed lifting shoes and stuff like that, and all the other equipment... It's... If you think about that guy that had um,
1: the 250 deadlift and the 140 squat and what was his bench press like 120 125 yeah if you think about that if you could even out if you could get to a 200 deadlift then you could even out the rest between the others because his weight if he's in the 83 class because he's just above the 70 what was the other one 77 or 70 yeah he was 70 73 73 he's just above the 73 class he should be doing at least a 150 160 squat for one rep. A yeah. 160 squat easy. Yeah, and like at least 130 140 on 100 the bench press. So it's interesting.
0: What's what's weird to me is 250 isn't even that much in a in a deadlift really for for where I imagine powerlifting numbers are. No. It is. It is.
1: Think about your weight and how many times
0: your body weight it is to get to 250. Well, we know he's 77, so 77 times 2 is roughly 150, so it's three and a half hymns. Okay, that's a lot, but yeah.
1: Because I'm about the same weight as him, maybe slightly under, and that was the one thing I always thought of, because my friend who is about 82 to 85... Like, normally, he can deadlift 250. And I was like, in order, if we work out the ratios, like, you know, with Olympic lifting, yeah. I was like, if you work out the ratios, I would have to hit 220 to be stronger than him in relation to body weight.
0: Which is nuts. Insane. But, yeah, I thought it was an interesting um, thing to have a look at.
1: So, what you're saying, what you're telling me, and you're telling the listeners at the same time is, Watch this space you're So one thing, Richard, that always gets me is how people in gyms forget about the fundamental movements. What do you mean by fundamental? So, you know, you've got stuff like a squat. Yeah. Then you've got all the smaller movements that,
0: Like a lunge,
1: side lunge, yeah. Single leg work. Everything comes back to the fact that there are those key movements that you know, it doesn't matter what you do in the gym, you have to come back and master them to be able to be good at other things. And ultimately, to get to most goals, you need to be good
0: at those movements. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're basically talking about your, your traditional classic barbell lifts.
1: Yes, but you know, in the gym setting, they wouldn't be called, they wouldn't just be barbell lifts. You just say, I'll just call them lifts because a lot of people in the gym may not even use a barbell to do it, but need to be good at it without a barbell.
0: Yeah, I, I totally I totally get where you're coming from. And, um, I mean, we're effectively talking about the, the fundamental basics that if, if you have a mastery of, give you a platform to do any other thing you want to do in the gym, basically.
1: Yeah, any other discipline, whether you're going through different modalities and going from, like, strength work to endurance work or to power and speed, they're all the key things you need. But, you know, with a lot of people in the gym, they get very good and they've got... It looks like they're really good at certain things, but they've got no foundations because they've never mastered those fundamental movements. So it's like a house built on sand.
0: <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, this is this is where uh, I think um, something say like training age becomes, becomes a factor here. So uh, for the listeners, training age is the number of years uh, you've worked out in a gym and how experienced you are, but you can... Of maybe worked out in the gym for 10 years but really have a training age of five because of the type of training you've done so when we're talking about the fundamental movements really there should be something that's put in place in 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 year one or how we define year one and then you move from there so you might never really cover them and then you might actually not be even in year one of training age
1: yeah totally agree and it's funny to say this but it's always going to be a chink in your armor if you don't have those movements mastered And there's certain things That just will just become harder to comprehend And you'll get more and more weaknesses Because you never got good at these key things And when we talk about the key things Firstly thing we need to agree on What we're talking about So In my opinion I would say the squat Yep I would also go with the deadlift mm-hmm. I would go with the overhead press Yep a split squat?
0: Mm no.
1: Alright, see that's where we kind of differ. And then I would go in terms of core work, I like to break it down in terms of stability, extension, rotation,
0: and anti-rotation. Okay, so, there's two schools of thought that I roughly follow for this. One is basically on... The five core lifts and a couple of the core areas you've touched on, and the other is is around the six planes of motion and again the core so in in the five core lifts would be your squat deadlift bench press, overhead press, and a overhead pull exercise like a pull up um, in in the six planes of motion, the only other thing you'd have is a horizontal row or pull. Which would obviously be some sort of like barbell roll or single arm roll or something like that. So that's that's typically how they break down the lift aspect in terms of the core. It's around core stability uh, and anti rotation as as your fundamentals. Um, stuff like rotation and extension, I think, I think you can make a strong argument in, and I have no issue with them being in there personally. For me, I include I think they're vital because. The anti-rotation stability stuff is probably the platform for the others first, but they become just as valid because of the lift type you're trying to do. And I think in a modern environment, with people being less physical in the jobs, you need an aspect of, of ability to actively work the core when you're doing some of these movements. But obviously, we differ big time there on the split squat. So,
1: Yeah. The reason why I would put that as a core lift is because... Someone may be able to muster a quite a good squat.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But then in a split squat which is ultimately the unilateral version of a split of a squat, yeah. they're terrible. It's almost like it's needed there because it's a fundamental thing of being able to keep the stability while being able to put that load. You can do probably a, a percentage, a high percentage of what you can do for the squat. However, you've still got the same variables to worry about. You've still got the leg stability, whether your knee rotates in or rotates out. You've still got hip stability. You've still got core stability. You've still got upper back strength. Everything you'd get from a squat, you've got from a split squat, but on a side-to-side variable. So, for
0: me, I, I think this difference comes down to training point because for me, when I work with, um, say, a new client, I'm not going to introduce these fundamental movements that early on because a lot of them are quite complicated and you need to... I find with a lot of people there's a lot of dysfunction. So I need to clear that dysfunction out and make sure most of the movements are there. So when you're taking, say, a squat, a squat, say, with a with a barbell or a goblet squat or whatever kind of squat you're going to do, there's a lot of issues that come up in terms of, you know, whether you're shifting from one leg to the other, ankle mobility, hip mobility, core strength, posture position, that kind of thing. All come into play. So for me, it's far easier for me to teach a split squat first of all, because then I can see the left-right balance. I can take out some of the issue around the ankles because they're in a split position. That back foot uh, is already at an extended position through the through the foot. The front leg doesn't need as much range. I can see where there's there's maybe tightnesses in the hip. So I'll go through that at that point. So I'd have already cleared through the split squat before I move even into the 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 traditional squat if you want so that would come in for me I, I typically tend to do split squat Bulgarian split squat some form of of reverse lunge then I go into goblet squat front squat back squat
1: but then by that you agree with me if I actually agree with me because if it's the first key movement you do it has to be a fundamental well because it has to be mastered if we go through your timeline or your exercise timeline A lot of the other exercises you could skip out. You couldn't skip out the front squat, but you could skip out the goblet squat and go straight to the front squat.
0: The reason why I have the goblet squat in before the front squat is because it's less demanding for the shoulder course, You
1: could could skip out the back lunge. You could skip out most of them except for the split squat because you know that's a fundamental thing that has to be mastered before you go to any of the other, how can I say, fancier
0: things before the squat. You wouldn't walk someone in and take them on day one into a deadlift you do a variation of a breakdown before you get into the deadlift yes so therefore that's not a fundamental movement based on that definition so fun- the reason why i think it's fundamental is because in order you have to have it a- the problem is is if-, if you were dealing with an athlete or someone of already of a-, of a comparable sort of standard someone who has a fully functioning body which i think they call the healthy ordinary person is that right. what they call it? Yeah, I think so. It's the hop or something, right? It's, it's the way they define it, right? Which is a mysterious person that doesn't ever exist. But you get these these individuals where they're they're basically perfect unformed bodies with no training experience. You could theoretically put them into a squat or a deadlift or anything like that with no issues. But r- realistically, most people you encounter and deal with are real people who have tightnesses, weaknesses, and, and, and everything else. So you have to do movements to build up to the fundamentals. So when I'm defining fundamental movements... I'm defining that first stage. So, so this is like your—you have to climb to base camp in Everest before you start your ascent onto the mountain. Where I'm talking about is getting to base camp. So
1: I feel like we need—we're shifting, but we're kind of agreeing, but shifting at the same time. I think it should be outlined. as fundamental movements, unilateral and bilateral.
0: Okay, so that's a, that's an interesting point. So if if we're going to break that down, would would you agree with me that? With most people, you'd start off looking at unilateral first. In most instances, there are certain things you wouldn't, like a pull-up.
1: Yes, I can't actually disagree with that. It would be because I would go with a split squat first, it has to be unilateral. But the thing is, it's funny, it's that, that comparison between upper body and lower body. Lower body, you focus a lot more unilateral than you would upper body. Mm.
0: For me, if, if we're going to break that down then, um, I would look at the the fundamental movements at that, that early point, that that pre-fundamental lift moment as being the same core exercises, which we should circle back to in a minute. Um, for, for the lower body, I'd want to be looking at a uh, hip raise, split squat, a some form of back extension-based movement, like a cobra or a back extension. Uh, I'd want to look at a um, push-up. And depending on their level, uh, a pull-up or a dip.
1: See, the problem is with the last three. A push-up, pull-up and dip. It They sound simple, but a lot of people actually can't even, can't do them properly. Push-up, yeah, is a higher percentage. But mm. a dip and a pull-up, there's a high percentage of men that can't even do them properly.
0: Yeah, I know. And so, the, the reason why I think... I'm not necessarily saying you have to have complete competency in them, but I think if you've got an individual where they can get into a, a position for a pull up and execute one pull up in good form, then they're able to move forward. I think the different the diff the difficulty is 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 strength to weight ratio because obviously if it's someone who's incredibly heavy or if it's um someone who because a lot of women struggle with pull ups generally and that's because of their muscle mass in her upper body I think it's 15% less than a man's because of genetics so there's very little so basically you're more likely to get an overweight man to be able to do a pull up than you are an overweight woman but you can use bands and stuff like that to lessen that that bias if you can get them comfortable with that and with grip strength and all the rest of it then in theory they can still do pull ups
1: but what's funny is I'm going to add another kind of wrinkle in the whole conversation what you said makes perfect sense but the reason why i think i didn't put the pull-ups in is because the biggest issue with pull-ups and those type of exercises is a mastery of body weight which is totally different from a fundamental movement we mm. should we should class a fundamental movement as something which <clears throat> doesn't have any extra things to add on so like someone may be able to hold the perfect pull-up form but can't do a pull-up because they haven't mastered their body weight yet and the same with a dip
0: so for for the for the pull up is obvious a lat pull down. Yep. With the dip, the reason why I put a dip in there is not necessarily because I'm looking at tricep strength, although I am a little bit. It's more about the shoulder. Yeah. So would you would you then go for something like see then you come into a problem because you then look at say a narrow push up or a narrow flat press or something?
1: But no, I'd I would stick to the overhead press. Okay and then the overhead press would cover that.
0: With a with I mean I, I would I would argue that at that point you want to do something like a floor press.
1: Oh, but then we're going back to that subject that you don't really like.
0: Yeah. The bench press. Or what's the other one? It's is it a zercher press? I think it's a zercher press. So zercher press is, is for the listener it's where you're sitting on the floor, your legs are out in front of you, so you're sitting on your butt. And then you've got to keep your back straight and then you're pressing above the head. So the reason why that's such a useful pressing action early on is because it takes your legs completely out of it. You can't use your legs to push. You can't shift your position because if you try and lean back, you're going to just topple over. So therefore, you have to push through the shoulder. So that, that's that's usually my work around to build up shoulder.
1: Would that be something that you could do unilaterally?
0: You could do that unilaterally.
1: We're trying to make sure that whatever movement we do, which is we class as fundamental it has to encompass most of the body and stability throughout, upper and lower.
0: Yeah, and the reason why I use that is because it means... So when you do, say, an overhead press and you do an overhead press with a bar or with a dumbbell or whatever, your body has the ability to cheat. You can lean back slightly. You can push through the legs slightly. You can recruit through different muscles in order to push that that, that weight. You can You can even cheat out by how much range you use. But by sitting on the floor, by taking the legs out of it, you can't because in that position, if you try and recruit through your chest by opening up and leaning back, you're just going to collapse. If you try and push through your legs, you can't because you can't drive from that position. So all you're using is your shoulder strength, which means that from from my point of view, in terms of me checking your form and your true strength, I don't need to I don't need to question whether that's coming out of the legs or coming out of the um, Chest position or anything like that is just driving through the shoulder. So for me, it's fundamental because it teaches you that shoulder strength, and you could work through that mo- motion and build that strength up, and then introduce a bar or some dumbbells at that point in a seated or standing position, and then generate and add in a little more complexity to the body, but still keep that discipline. So
1: just as the split squat is my fundamental movement, but my smaller version to the squat, you're saying the Z press is a fundamental movement but the regression of the overhead press
0: yeah to me exactly
1: we need to also put the RDL in
0: because
1: Romanian deadlift is the smaller version of the deadlift and is such a pivotal point you can't miss that if you want to get to the deadlift
0: so now this brings up an interesting point for me because as I sort of mentioned one of the things that I do early on is some sort of like hip raise
1: Hip hinge.
0: Yeah, hip hinge. And at that point as well, I also look at a back extension move like a cobra. So building that up, then the next motion I'd probably look at doing is a single leg deadlift. Rather than doing an RDL at that point, then I'd move into an RDL. So for me it goes back to being unilateral at that point.
1: See it's funny, I, I agree with you, but there's a lot of um people who I don't put them in um a single leg RDL because I don't feel like they're at that point where they can actually handle that compared to a normal audio.
0: So this brings us neatly onto core. Oh, that's...
1: that's, (laughs) This is going to be a messy bit.
0: Yeah, really messy. So I think... Let's go back a stage because we both agree that stability and anti-rotation are kind of the building blocks. And then we both agree that rotation and extension are probably what you'd call stage two or one A, if you want, from that point, and that's that's where you'd move to. So, I think you probably agree with me as well that a sit up should come way down the line, if ever.
1: I honestly don't believe a sit up is important. I feel like it is a vanity
0: exercise. Yeah, I mean, to me as well. Like, what I find typically is most people have a non-existent core in terms of core stability. They cannot activate the TVA. They can't get into the right positions in order to brace.
1: And, you know, the brace is a key part, but it's more predominantly um, focused on the lower abdominals, which for most people are asleep.
0: Yeah. Um, and when it comes to rotational work and, and, and anti-rotational work, they don't understand how to activate their obliques to get in that position. They shift their entire body to try and uh, get into the right position. So we should probably define some of these things before we actually get too far into this. Okay, so the TVA is transverse abdominis. It's a ring of muscle through the deepest part of the core. It helps stability and and position. It's probably most easily described as as like a belt of muscle round the spine. When you breathe in and squeeze your your stomach in, you're usually activating the TVA. It should sort of be switched on most of the time um, when you're standing up and moving around and throughout most exercises.
1: And also, if you think about another key thing is the obliques which run from, if you think of the normal core, run from the sides of your like, six-pack muscles around the sides of your body to the back. And they're key for stuff like rotation, anti-rotation, um, any type of deviations left to right. They're a key worker in that.
0: So when we're talking about anti-rotation and rotation, anti-rotation is very simply the resistance of rotation. So it's stopping you get twisted and turned whereas obviously rotation is the initiation of that movement. So one of the exercises that probably people are most commonly aware of is a Russian twist, which involves rotating from side to side. That's a rotational movement. I was going to say a wood chop. Well, wood chop is, is a good example as well. And then a thing that people are not so um, uh, knowledgeable of is a paloff press, which is about anti-rotation. Oh, I love a paloff press. Yeah. And a paloff press is great because a paloff press, there's so many ways of of, of turning that exercise into a much more complicated movement which challenges the body in a, in a different way and activates that core anti-rotational movement that you want. So um, that's, that's an example of, of your anti-rotation. Your core stability, everyone sort of knows plank. That's a pretty obvious one. There's also um, different holds. You can do a Superman hold or a hanging hold as well. There are also good stability um, variations. And then what would you say for extension?
1: If we take a plank, changing it into an extension exercise would be having a Swiss ball, making the arms roll out away from the body and yes. being able to keep the structure strong at the same time. You've got a classic one which a lot of people see in the gym which is a rollout. out yes. with a wheel. Yes. But the problem with that is a lot of people do it, but they don't actually get that, that core lock-in before their arms go up. Mm-hmm. So they've never fully engaged just pulling out with the arms, leaving the abdominals back, which means they don't have full engagement. A good one would be for, it's, this is a weird one, a hollow hold. Yep. By definition, it is a stability exercise, but it's in an extension position. Mm-hmm. So a good version of that would be like an elenka which is like a hollow hold but it's the repetition of a hollow hold because yeah. you can add weight to the arms and the legs and actually get them to extend under the tension and pop back in yeah so you can put more force in it rather than a, um, a hollow hold i'm going to stop there because i could go on with extension exercises till the cows come home
0: well let me let me let me let me bring you into another question then so what what we're mentioning there is is your your hollow hold position your your link hold so the, obviously your link is a step up from your hollow hold but if you're working with somebody and you're looking at your core, would you, would you go stability anti-rotation first to build a base and then move into rotation and extension next? Or would you do all of them at the same time? Or would you, would, would you do a different order?
1: So in an assessment stage, or assessment period, because I can't, yeah, a period, it would be all four. I would test all four. Test all four to see how they perform, then go with the weakest ones first
0: so interesting well yes what I tend to find though is that you typically find the same problems across the board in in most cases obviously there's exceptions so I usually find myself ending up doing some form of single leg extension in a brace position activating the TVA because that's enough for them in terms of extension I find myself doing a uh, a plank or hollow hold variation depending on Again, their position. So if their shoulders are weak, I end up doing a hollow hold. If their shoulders are kind of strong and they can get into a um, retracted position through the shoulders, then I'll do something plank-based. And then I'll end up doing something anti-rotational like a pal off press. Yep. And then after that, I will put in rotation because I find that I need to get anti-rotation in first before I worry about rotation.
1: Yeah, and in the gym, you see a lot of people doing rotational exercises like wood chops. And everyone's doing standing wood chops, but one of the things I see commonly is the fact that they're they're rotating, but the rotation actually isn't coming from the the abdominals. No. It's coming from hip movement, which is is one of the things, the reasons for doing a wood chop is being able to keep the hips still while you rotate the upper body through the abdominals.
0: I mean, this is an aside point, but I've trained a few different golfers and all of them have been sort of 50... 60 year old men when you when you go through um anti-rotation and then into rotational work through just looking at the abdominal area first you get that based in there before you start entering into hip rotation shoulder rotation ankle rotation then what what they then find is I get almost universal feedback from every single one of them that their their drive off the, off the tee has gone up by 50, 60 yards. And that's before I've even entered into bringing the hip rotation in. So it shows you how little engagement they really have in terms of that sort of trunk core rotation. The whole thing in a
1: golf swing would be all of the parts rotating together. Yeah. However, when you're training it, you need to break the bits down to see how well they work. Because as you, from what you said, the core is probably working at maybe um, 20%, 30% potential.
0: Most of it is just arms. They just move the arms. So it's the rest of it comes into play, and then, then suddenly they're hitting the ball phenomenally further, and then obviously the handicap's coming down, so they're very happy. But um, going back to our fundamental movements, one of the interesting things about uh, what we've described, we've obviously gone through how we'd be looking at some unilateral movements first and the core and all the rest of this. So when we're talking about the fundamental lifts, so the the traditional fundamental lifts that give you the building block for other things something like say a squat and a deadlift can carry you into say a snatch or a clean down the line having experience of those things would you would you say that was true yeah it would so how much do you think crossfit has given a benefit for these kind of lifts and people doing crossfit
1: i don't think they have i think they go into they go straight into teaching olympic lifts as far as I'm aware, a lot of it is teaching Olympic lifts. But that's that's like a meal in itself, trying to teach the lifts. But trying to teach the lifts to people who haven't learned the fundamentals of the breakdowns of the lifts before, it's just a nightmare. An absolute nightmare.
0: I, I agree. And I think this is, because they've been pushing the Olympic lift agenda and the gymnastics agenda, it's created a an interest in how to perfect and improve these lifts, which has therefore meant that individuals who are interested in CrossFit have then been forced to try and learn these movements outside of, outside of CrossFit. What CrossFit has done is sort of reignite the strength training, lifting style of thing. And what's interesting now is there seems to be also a sort of trend towards powerlifting, which is probably going to cause another interesting sort of difference and in curve in, in terms of lifting stuff. Because when you're looking at stuff from a powerlifting perspective, obviously you need to know how to bench, squat and deadlift. But I would argue that something like, say, a barbell row, an overhead press and some form of uh, overhead pulling movement like a pull-up or a lap pull-down are also going to benefit you for those lifts. But fundamentally,
1: what they've done is blur the lines of what should be done and what shouldn't be done
0: in a negative way. But let's
1: not get into that.
0: We'll save the CrossFit conversation. That is a
1: rant and a half.
0: Yeah. Um, So, in terms of fundamental movements, where do stuff like walking, crawling, jumping fit in for you?
1: The funny thing is, they're fundamental to every day, not fundamental to the gym. I feel like putting them into a gym setting is quite good for some people. But... I wouldn't class it as a fundamental movement in the perspective that we're talking about you know gym setting because there there is a train of thought that follows that you know it should be Mm -hmm. crawling those type of movements all of that like um, the animal movements animal flow yeah animal flow they're really fundamental movements but one thing I've found over the years is they're very good however it comes back to one key perspective mastery of the body weight and unless you've got the fundamental movements and you've built up the strength prior to this you can't really have
0: the strength in terms of body weight when you look at some of these movements like i think there's one that's like a reptile or a lizard or something where there's ways the feet and arms move in order to create the propulsion across the floor yeah and you stay low down and it looks really impressive because it does look like the individual's moving like a like a lizard but in reality, as soon as you start trying to do that movement and teach it, what you'll see is everyone lifts up higher to get an easier access point to move and then their legs don't move in that correct way. So when you look at it realistically, it's not something that is easily masterable and potentially it's something that might be of benefit, probably is benefit in the long term because it shows mobility, strength and and, and stability all wrapped up in one movement. For most individuals, it's, it's, it's like something you do in your fifth or sixth year of training when that kind of level of, when, when you've already got some basics.
1: But that's like people going into plyometrics. Yeah. But not knowing that, in, in order to do plyometrics properly, the prescription is you need to be able to do, I think, one and a half times your body weight in a squat. Right. To be able to, and it's not so much to actually jump, it's to handle the force of landing. Mm-hmm. That's what people forget. So, I think they're fundamental, but they're not fundamental to the gym. And I feel like they're fundamental after you've mastered the gym areas.
0: With the exception of probably walking. Yeah,
1: but if someone has a problem walking, it's extremely hard to change it.
0: Well, yeah, you can't really change. I mean, you can, but you're right. It's incredibly difficult to change the way someone walks.
1: You can do little movements. You can do exercises to help. But ultimately, it's such a subconscious thing somehow you have to psychologically train them to be conscious of every single movement around their walking and over a long period of time
0: hopefully that will transition across into their subconscious what also as well is worse, as soon as you get rushed you go back to your default
1: that's why with walking it's more psychological than physical like um, adding a computer program to the mind or to, the, to a computer you need to find a way to get it in and integrate it to everything else it does that's as a new way
0: of moving at some point down the line We'll have a conversation about uh, hot and cold, conscious, unconscious systems in terms of mind and training because I've got quite a well-rounded understanding of this because I do do it with some people. So I can give you some information on that that's quite interesting about how the brain reacts to certain things and how that then carries over into training.
1: That's going to be a full day session. I don't think I'm ready for that yet.
0: It's one of those things that's really interesting and has maybe... 10% A 10% benefit in terms of your training and for the vast majority of people it has no benefit because they're not doing the stuff they need to first but we can talk about that at that point on fundamental movements do you want to summarise
1: at the point we're at now we spoke about most of the fundamental movements if we go back to it we said so we're probably in total agreement now you've got a squat as a fundamental movement but a key stage along that line would be a split squat yep. then you've got a deadlift yep. fundamental However, along the stage of that, depending on the person, you've got a Romanian deadlift or a single leg Romanian yeah. deadlift. But that's optional between the person. Uh, then we had the overhead press, mm-hmm. fundamental. Yeah. But then, the one stop along the road to that would be a Z press. Yeah. Which we can both agree. Yeah. And then, you had we had stuff like the pull up, the um, dip, and what was the other one? The push up yeah however, one reason why we've taken them out of the main ones is because they can only be done once the body weight your body weight has been mastered, so I can't really see them as fundamental because not not every person can do it. That's something that once your training age let's say your training age is maybe three four years according in in accordance to your body weight, that's something you can do then, but in the beginning, it can't be done because it's just too hard, yeah. For that for that ratio between strength and body weight um, and then the